everybody was able to get themselves caught up in the reading. I won't ask how many people did the college kid thing all night last night. <laughs> um, and then next week we finish Exodus. So we're, we're certainly moving along. We're, we're starting in chapter two, Exodus 12 <coughs> this morning. Oh, and we've got a lot of um, really good stories that we'll be covering today. Uh, I want to look at our outline. Uh, Edersheim has divided the book into two halves of seven parts each, uh, which may be a little bit artificial, but it works. The last time we did, we saw how at the beginning of the book, uh, Israel had grown from a family into a nation, and then we and Moses got born. He was going to be the deliverer, but he wasn't yet. And then um, we find we have the first eighty years of Moses' life, and then he goes to uh, to Pharaoh to tell him, "Let my people go." And Pharaoh, of course, doesn't. And so they do these signs and wonders. Uh, this section covers nine plagues. The tenth plague is, is set apart as, as special. And so uh, in this morning's lesson, we're going to look at the Passover, which it is uh, the uh, forerunner of the, uh, the tenth plague. And then we'll trace them all through it. And if we get as far as I hope, um, I'm hoping we can get all the way through number three of part two, but we'll see whether we can make it that far this morning. All right, so let's look at the Passover, chapter 12. Um, this was the, uh, the only plague that the Israelites had to do something in advance for. They had to do some preparation. Um, And the preparation started several days in advance. Even um, what, which month of the year does the Passover come in? Yeah, the the new first month. Yes, uh, they and and from here forward, the, the the Israelites had two different calendars. Their civil year started in the seventh month of this religious calendar. And this is and this first month of the religious calendar is the seventh month of the civil year. <laughs> um, and then within within this, the first month, what day of the month did their preparation start? The tenth day. And what were they to do on that day? Take a lamb. Yeah, a lamb, which could either be a a sheep lamb or a goat lamb. <laughs> the, the Hebrew word for lamb works for either one. And. Um, how old is it supposed to be? Yeah, one year old. What kind? Male. Yeah, male one year old lamb. And they keep it until what day? The fourteenth day of the month. And then they kill it when? At twilight, yes. And before they eat it, what else do they do with it? Yeah. They put some of the blood on, on the two side posts and the, on the lintel over the top. What do they use to apply the blood with? A piece of hyssop. Yeah, a piece of hyssop. 
which um, the hyssop is, is mentioned several times in the law and once in the Psalms when David says uh, in the 51st Psalm, purify me with hyssop. So it, it, the, the hyssop was a, a plant, I, I assume it was a good plant for, you know, you, it, it, like sort of like a sponge when you stick it in the bowl it would soak up the blood and you could splatter it. But it, it apparently had this symbolic connection with, with purification. And so they were purifying their houses. That the, by sprinkling the blood on the door, on the doorposts, uh, the entrance, the way everyone had to come in, then the, that was the way they were purifying their house. And so anyone who was within that house was safe. God, when He passed through the land to kill the firstborn, He would pass over those houses, which is where the name Passover comes from, uh, because their house had been purified with the blood of the Lamb. You can see the symbol- symbolism that we can understand today, which of course the Israelites wouldn't have had much much clue about. Then they ate the meal that night. Uh, how were they to be dressed for the meal? Yeah. Sandals on their feet, staff in their hand. And, and that showed faith. Isn't that right? I mean, because... Um, there had never been a night before when they had to leave. <laughs> God is saying, you know, Pharaoh will let you go tonight. He hasn't let him go for the last year. It's been almost that long, I think, that the plague has been going on. Uh, so faith was shown in the keeping of this, of this meal. And um, what else did they eat with the meal? They had lamb. How did they cook the lamb? Roast, roast lamb. It wasn't boiled, it was roast. Um, and what specifically were they not to do with it? Not to break any of its bones. Um, I think what it was, what that was, the intention there was that this was to be a, a whole burnt offering. Now, I understand that in the book of Leviticus you don't eat whole burnt offerings. The whole burnt offering is, it's called a whole burnt offering because you burn the whole thing. Um, but I think this this Passover lamb is kind of the um, the sacrifice that stands for all of the sacrifices. Um, it, it's the preeminent sacrifice, the, the Passover sacrifice. And in the New Testament, Paul says, "Christ, our sacri- our Passover has been offered." That's in First Corinthians chapter five, um, and. He is the fulfillment of the Passover. And it was at the Passover when He was sacrificed. You remember that the Last Supper that He ate with His disciples was the Passover meal. Um, Do the Jews today still keep the Passover? Oh yes, every year they keep the Passover. My question is, do they keep the lamb all? I'm not absolutely certain that they even eat lamb with the Passover, but I, I, I can't tell you. See, the the problem they have is that they always offered the, the lambs were always slaughtered at the temple, and I don't know what they do now when they can't go to the temple. Uh, so I'm not I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, what else do they eat with the meal? Unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. And bitter herbs. And bitter herbs. Now, what do you think the bitter herbs symbolized? 
Yeah, their, their, their service as slaves was a bitter time. What did the fact that the bread was unleavened symbolize? Well, leaven was equated with sin. That's right. Le- leaven was, was symbolic of sin. So unleavened meant this is a sinless sacrifice. And in, um, in verses 14 through... 20. This, that's a section that did not actually apply to them for that first Passover. Um, Moses was putting that in because it's connected with the Passover, but it would be connected with later Passovers. The, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was something they celebrated later. It, it started the day after the Passover and it went for how many days? Seven days. And they, they weren't allowed to have unleavened that whole time. And it symbolized the fact that when they left Egypt, they had to leave in such a hurry they didn't have time for their bread to rise, so they were eating unleavened bread as they were on the march for those seven days. So in verse 29 then, about midnight, the Lord went through the whole land, killed all the firstborn, um, even firstborn of cattle, which that must have been a pretty big surprise for these people. I mean, it's certainly a great tragedy for them, but also a surprise when they realize, you know, only it's only the firstborn dying. Even our cow, it's the firstborn of this cow here. I mean, it was very, very obviously God's doing. And Moses, I mean, Pharaoh finally, finally gave in. Nine plagues. He's he's let. I mean, this would have been a lot easier if he'd done it in the very beginning. He's let Egypt get totally devastated. Hail and 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 locusts and all that just. That, that that's an impoverished nation, but finally, this has got to stop. So yes, you can go. When they went, they had already prepared ahead of time. But listen, right here, they had prepared by asking the, their Egyptian neighbors what for uh, valuable items. Yeah, so they they were given things like gold and silver and clothing. Back in those days, clothing was very expensive too. So uh, things have changed, of course, with the Industrial Revolution. Um, And off they went. Um, It mentions in verse 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them. What's the mixed multitude? Yeah, these are people that are not Jews. And and I think they'll eventually get absorbed into the Jewish nation. But we're going to see later on in the stories that they kind of cause problems with... They don't have... I mean, we think the Israelites are bad enough, but they have a worse attitude. <laughs> um, so then in verse 42, there's some more, some more words about the, the future observance of the Passover, uh, which didn't, didn't pertain to this first one. Um, but it, it's again in the same place because we're talking Passover. In chapter 13 then, Another ceremony is instituted as a result of this great miracle. And what is that? The very beginning of the chapter. The, the firstborn is dedicated to the Lord. Yeah. The firstborn belongs to God. And the, the reason it belongs to God is why? Because God killed all the firstborn in Egypt. So in recognition that these really belong to God, the firstborn is to be offered to God. Um, 
And that will have a big advantage in verse 8. You shall tell your son on that day, seeing it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. These ceremonies that they were going to keep would, would be a very useful means to pass on the stories of God's great deeds from father to son to grandson. Because the, the children are going to want to know, why do we do this? Ah, oh, good. glad you asked that question. <laughs> Alright, and then also in chapter 13, when they left, they took something special with them. The bones of Joseph. Yeah, he had told them to do that 400 and some years earlier. It says here they were in Egypt 430 years, but I think I assume that covers Joseph's time in Egypt, so maybe it's a little bit less than 400 years ago when he died. And finally, at the end of chapter 13, we're introduced to one other thing that's going to be with them the whole time they're in the wilderness. And what is that? Yeah. Pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. <clears throat> they could march at night because the pillar of fire would light their way and the cloud in the daytime would, would also guide them. And this follows them or leads them the whole 40 years. Um, if eventually, this visible presence of God will move into the tabernacle and later into the temple. And only the high priest could see it. He would go in there one uh, on the Day of Atonement every year, and he was the only one that was able to see that. But that's where that, uh, that pillar went eventually. <clears throat> then in chapter 14, um, God is guiding them. It's not up to them to figure out which way to go. And He does not take them by way of the Philistines, which would have been the shortest way into the land. Why not? The Philistines were very, oh, very warlike people, and... and um, these people are a bunch of untrained slaves. Uh, he knows they're not going to, they, they would just get terrified. So he's going to take them the long way, uh, but it'll work out better in the end. Also, he's got this secondary plan, and the secondary plan has to do with Pharaoh. And what's that plan? <laughs> that guy never gives up. And he, he he knows he knows that he can just sort of dangle this out in front of him and Pharaoh will, will grab the bait. And the the bait is it looks like the Israelites don't know what they're doing. <laughs> they've gone they've they've set themselves up into a trap. They they've gone gone down along the um let me show on the map where they are. <laughs> They started from here, the area of Ramesses. And then they end up, this is pretty faint down here, but they're blocked by the Red Sea to the east. And, and according to the Comdrares region, there are mountains if they go south and mountains to the west. So they're, they're kind of like, you know, at the end of a box canyon. You know, there, there's no way out. And, and when Pharaoh sees that, he can't resist. <laughs> He can get he can get these people back. You know, we just lost. What do we do? We just lost all of our slaves. Who's going to do the work for us? <laughs> and you know, it seems like no one says. Um, think back over the last you know eight or nine months, and um, 
do we really want these people back? <laughs> no, he's determined. So, and what's the reaction on the people when they see this army coming? They seem not to have learned as any better than Pharaoh. <laughs> and how often is that true with us? You know, God, you know, we get in a bind, we pray to God, and God gets us out of the bind. And we thank God. I mean, this is great. God has done this great thing. And then a year later, we get in another bind. And, oh no, what am I going to do? Takes you a year. <laughs> to get in the next bind. <laughs> Well, if you do it more often, maybe you get more used to it and you understand God will take care of it. <laughs> so, yeah, they're blaming, blaming Moses and all this. And, um, but God says, why are you crying to me? Move forward. <laughs> Tell the Israelites to move forward. Holds out His rod. And, and what does God do when He holds out the rod over the sea? Separates the waters. One thing first. Yeah, a very strong east wind comes in. And, and, and the reason I mention this, to an observer, this looks like something natural. It, you, you look at it and it doesn't... I, 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 you know, I know in the movie The Ten Commandments they made it look like you know, walls straight up and down, but it, it wasn't that way. The, sea, I, the, the wind would have blown the water back in both directions and it would have been piled up, but not like you know, straight up and down. It would have been a wall in the sense that nobody can get to you from either side. But for, for Pharaoh and the and the you know the army, it just looks like, you know, this this is dry land, we can go through here. And they could they couldn't they couldn't follow for a while because the, the pillar of fire and cloud was blocking them. But once the Israelites were crossed, God moved and they charged in and once they all got in, down in, in, in on the seabed, God told Moses to do what? Stretch the rod out again, and this time, who? Uh, I, I assume God stopped the wind, and the water came back in, and, and they all drowned. And so, um, in verse 29... This, this is very typical of the way you find Old Testament writing, the Hebrew writing. Is it, but the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. That's just complete repetition. We already have the story. But in, in, in Hebrew literature, repetition is a good thing. <laughs> and, and telling something twice just emphasizes that much more. And, and you can understand why they want to emphasize this. This was one amazing rescue. And so in verse 31, when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and His servant Moses. And that leads us up to chapter 15, which is what? The Song of Moses. And uh, this, is, this is great poetry. We've talked about poetry before, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But uh, you read this through and it just, it's got just a great sound to it. It's, it this is... Um, uh, it's so neat. And what is what's the main theme of this song? That God has saved them. That's right. It's praise to the Lord. Um, the song starts with, I will sing to the Lord for He is highly exalted. It's a song of praise to God. And so he, he talks about all the great things 
God did, and, and then he starts talking about you know Pharaoh's chariots and what happened to them, um, and and more about how God saved them, and, and using poetic language. And you and you, we have to understand when when we're reading poetry, it's going to be in poetic language. It's not like prose; it's not literal. So that when in verse eight, at the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. Well, now this is again, it, it's. It's poetry. I mean, God doesn't. I mean, they didn't really see a giant face, you know, with with, with his nose breathing, breathing out <laughs> this this big blast. Um, and when it says the deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea, I mean, we, we're not supposed to picture the the water all turning into jello. I mean, it, it's poetry to, just to just to emphasize the fact that God did this great work that they've never seen done before. And and. The repetition of, of the poetry is so neat. I, I, verse 9, for example. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw up my sword, my hand will destroy them. <laughs> it's just, you know, and the repetition just bam, bam, bam. It just, it just builds up the, 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 uh, the suspense here. And then, you know, the next verse, you blew with your wind, the sea covered them. <laughs> Oh, I mean, these. I mean, you can imagine. The, I mean, imagine if you were in in this number, wouldn't you be so excited? It just, I mean, the celebration you have after the World Series or after you know the after Boston wins the the uh, the the um, Super Bowl. I mean, that's nothing compared to this. I mean, it, it's um, uh, this is. Uh, a whole nation of people that have been rescued out of slavery all their lives have been in slavery. Their parents were in slavery, all this. And they were terrified and then God rescued them. I mean, they could have been dead and instead the Pharaoh and his people are dead. It doesn't specifically say Pharaoh died, but I, but I would assume he did. Normally he would be leading at the front of his, his people. Um, and in the New Testament... What book mentions the song of Moses and the Lamb? Revelation. The book of Revelation, yeah. They will sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. And it's, it's a picture of God's people when they get to heaven. And what does the song of Moses have to do with those people? They're just as saved. They're just as saved. They were, all of us were in slavery too. And God saved us. Um, Pharaoh, or in our case, Satan, he tried to get us. But God opened the water up and we went through the waters of baptism. And on, we were safe on the other side. We were baptized into Jesus. And so we can sing the song Moses and the Lamb. And then uh, in verse 20, Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels with dancing. What's a timbrel? Yeah, those little, those little round things you shake up and down. they got little metal things around them. Yeah, yeah, a tambourine. Now that's another translation for it. Yeah. And can't you just imagine the, these women? I mean, talk about excited. You know, just shaking these things and jumping around and all. I mean, we're not talking about ballroom dancing, you know, the, the, the sinful stuff, men and women hugging each other. We're talking about just a joyful, happy, jumping around, celebrating God. And, and they are 
they are celebrating God. Too bad it doesn't last. Because <laughs> thing, bad things are going to happen and they're going to have to get things solved, solved again. Um, at the end of chapter 15, we've got the uh, bitter water which God tells Moses how to purify. Then they come to the Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 78 palms. They didn't complain about that. <laughs> that, was, that was good stuff. And then in chapter 16, the, they had their biggest problem so far. They ran out of what? Food. Yeah, I mean, they, they had all... I mean, of course, you can imagine. I mean, you, they, carried, they had food prepared before they left, but you, you can't go indefinitely on that. And now here they are in the middle of a desert, and where are they going to get food? And so they start complaining. And, and um, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. Now, this, that's just sinful. That's pretty bad. But what did God do to solve their problem? Yeah, he did two things. One, one was just a one, a once-only thing. That was the quail. The quail were flying in a huge, huge flock, and they landed uh, all around the camp, and they could just go out and just grab as many as they wanted and, and have a nice feast. But the manna was something that began at this point and continued for how long? For forty years. For forty years. How many days a week did it did it land on the camp? Six, yeah, that's a little bit of a surprise. Six, because um, you know most weeks have seven days in them. <laughs> but what was the deal with the seventh day? Rest. Yeah, this is the first mention we have specifically about a seventh day day of rest. In the book of Genesis, we did have some mentions of seven days, and some people have suggested, well, maybe they had a Sabbath back then. But there's no, there's no reference to a Sabbath before this. Um, and I seriously doubt that they had a Sabbath when they were slaves in Egypt. <laughs> so this is a, very, a great gift for, for people that have been slaving and slaving all their lives. Now, one day out of every seven, you get to stop your work and just rest. Even the animals got to rest. Because um, later on, the animals would be working pretty hard for those six days as well, plowing the fields and all of that. Um, and so every morning they'd go out and gather it. <clears throat> They didn't measure it. I, I, I'm guessing that, that they, they measured it where if anyone gathered extra, they would, they would give it to someone that didn't have as much. And it always ended up, when they got done, everyone had just the right amount. And So they, they, there's no way to get ahead here, was there? I mean, what if you gathered extra? Well, then you'd have tasty worms. <laughs> yeah, then it would grow worms. Except on Friday, they, they did get extra. They got twice as much. And on Saturday, no worms. They just had like ate what they'd saved over from the day before. But think about the lesson that's teaching and how well we could do to learn that lesson. I mean, how often do we look at how much money is in the bank and the more we have, the more secure we are. And so we save up. And I'm not, it's not wrong to save up. But when we start putting our trust there, we're putting our trust in the wrong thing. God put these people in a position where they couldn't save up. They just had to trust that He would provide for them the next day, and He always did. Surely, if God could do that for them, how much more for us when we can save up? But so often, we, we, we put our trust in the wrong thing. And, and God was teaching these people, and, and, and of course, He teaches us as well. Um, 
Then in chapter 17, and I need to show the outline here because we're yeah, we're now on the second half of the book. First half was the redemption of Israel. The second half is the consecration of Israel as a people of God. And that begins with, um, well, just after the Song of Triumph, it, all, all this is, is God's way of setting them apart as His people. Yeah. Could you explain consecration? Consecration means to be set apart. You can think of it in the same sense as to make holy. God, God was, God had redeemed them out of Egypt, but now He needs to set them apart to be a special people, and, and that requires training. And all the things that are going on in the wilderness here are training them. And it's going to take, they don't realize it, but it's going to take over a thousand years for them to get trained. <laughs> it's going to go on to get them truly to be a separate people. And now we are the people of God, and God is consecrating us. He's training us to be a separate people. So the, the, the first few chapters are getting them to Mount Sinai. And, and the adventures they have along the way. Uh, in, in chapter 78, which is where we are right now, we see two different interactions with Gentile nations. The first one was Amalek. And Amalek did what? They attacked him, yes. Um, and they attacked him. Right, it's right around the same time they were running out of water, although they, they, were, they, were, they were given water. When, how did Moses give them water? Yeah, whacked the war rock with his with his staff. But then Amalek came and attacked them. And this is a strange story. Uh, we don't notice how strange it is. But if you think back, how many times up to this point have these children of Israel been commanded by God to do something to help themselves? How many times did they help God do the plagues? Not once. The only thing they did was they had been directed to speak to their Egyptian neighbors. For... Yep, asked for the for the gold and the silver and all, and they of course kept the Passover. But when Pharaoh and his army attacked, I mean, did they get out their swords and do anything? God took care of it. But now for the first time, they have to get out their swords. The the Amalek attacks, and God expects them to do the defending. And all, all these things are, are quite symbolic of, of of what's going to happen later on. I mean, this is the this is the beginning of a battle that's going to be going on between the the nations of the world and God's people all through history, and and it's a battle that's discussed quite a bit even in the Book of Revelation. Um, so the way in which they win the battle is a very important one for us to understand. They have to fight, but what? Has to also happen for them to be successful. No appeal to God. Yeah. Moses raises his hand. Yeah, Ralph. Yeah, Moses. Yeah, and what's what's in his arms? Staff. Yeah, the staff, the same one that he had used to turn the water into blood and to part the waters of the Red Sea. The staff is being held up before God. As long as that's held up before God, the people are winning. 
what do you suppose that represents? Yeah, if, faith in God, it represents prayer. Um, we today are in, in battles. We're in battles with sin in our own lives. We're, we're, we're sometimes in battles that, that are, are somewhat more external than that. But uh, it, it is a spiritual battle. And the only way we can win these battles is if we do our part and pray to God and trust that God will give us the victory. The victory is not is not because of our great works. The victory is because of God, but He does expect us to participate in it. And so that beginning with Amalek, they, they did beat Amalek, and, and then God said, write down in the book that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. They had done a very terrible thing. Israel hadn't done anything against them. There's no reason for them to do this. They just hated the people of God, and and God's going to punish them for that by wiping them out. Then the other thing to do with the the Gentile nations is in chapter eighteen, and it involves who? Jethro. Jethro, yes. And who is he? Yes, he's Moses' father, and he's a priest, and he is on the side of the people of God. And the, this is a strange thing. Because we're not used to thinking of priests outside of the people of God, although we did have one before this. Who was that? Melchizedek, Melchizedek right. Um, but in this chapter, Jethro offers a sacrifice. He's a, he's a priest, not of the tribe of Aaron, certainly, you know, descendants of Aaron, but he's a separate nation, Gentile, but he offers a sacrifice. And the people and the leaders of Israel and Moses and all eat the sacrifice with him. It's obvious that this is something that is acceptable to God. Then he gives advice. And it's interesting here you have this advice coming from outside of, the, of Israel. And what was the advice? Share the authority of judging. Yes. Um, now later on, um, God will tell, actually tell Moses to do this. Um, but here, the, fir- the first suggestion of it actually came from, from Jethro. And he was just looking on. And, and he could see that Although Moses' heart was in the right place, he wasn't necessarily doing things in the smartest way. And this is the problem to this day. I mean, it's certainly everyone does not have this problem, but it's not uncommon to have leaders of God's people who think they have to do everything. And and I, they're they're not necessarily they don't necessarily have a bad attitude about that, but um, they just can't see anybody else doing it. And sometimes. They have to be pointed out, you know. Well, you know, there are other people here. You don't have to do all. I mean, you're wearing yourself out. <laughs> That's what Jethro is telling Moses. You know, you're just wearing yourself out. Plus, you're wearing the people out because they're having to stand in these big long lines because it takes. You know, there's only one judge in the for for this probably two million people in, in this nation. And so his advice was wise, and, and Moses took it. And and of course, this also had the the additional advantage that when Moses is gone. The judging won't just suddenly cease. You'll have all these people that have been trained to be judges from the from the very bottom all the way up. And now we come to Mount Sinai. <laughs> and chapter 19 is a very dramatic chapter, a chapter of preparation. There, there's a big plain at the foot of Mount Sinai and big enough to hold all, all these people camped out. 
And they have to get ready because on the third day, God's going to appear to them. So they have to wash all their clothes. They have to consecrate themselves. They have to make themselves holy because God is holy. And God cannot have fellowship with an unsanctified people. And so God, they set it up. And then what do they have to do around the base of the mountain? Yeah, yeah. They had, they had to get a fence guy in there and put, put boundary markers so that you knew, don't cross this. God is absolutely separate. God is on the mountain. The whole mountain is holy. Nobody touches this mountain. You touch the mountain and you are to be put to death. So, in fact, Moses Moses was allowed on the mountain, but nobody else. And so he went up, and then God said, "Go down and tell the people not to touch the mountain." And Moses, I already told them that. We already go down. <laughs> tell them again. It was critical they understand this, and 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 that again is trying to teach us today. We we have to understand that God is absolutely holy, and that our worship to Him has to be a holy worship. Um, our behavior when we're here in the assembly is part of that. Our behavior during the week is also part of that. Our thoughts, everything. I mean, God is is just so holy. I mean, you remember in the book of Isaiah, to try to get it across, they say, holy, holy, holy. They repeat it because they didn't have any word that could, that could say so holy without having to repeat the word. And in chapter 20, God then speaks from the mountain what? The Ten Commandments. Now, these commandments, we can divide them into two halves. Now, I understand God wrote them down on two tables of stone, but I think there's a a high likelihood that He wrote the same ten on both. I think there was two copies He was giving. But He wrote them on the front and the back, too. Um, But the, the, the Ten Commandments can be divided into two halves, and which which ones would go into the first half? Those pertaining to God. Yeah, those pertaining to God. <clears throat> which is the first four or five? <laughs> Straight, yeah, the fifth one being uh, honor your father and mother, with God, of course, being the ultimate father, although Jesus is the one that taught that much more than Moses. And then the second half having to do with what? Human Relationship to human beings. <clears throat> yes. Well, another interesting thing, the first five commands all have one thing in common. And that is that they always include a reason or some extra explanation uh, about keeping it. Um, in the, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, the explanation is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. And the explanation, you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, that's thousands of generations, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And then you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Reason? Because the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. His name is holy because it represents his character. Then remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then more explanation about that. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the, on the seventh day He rested. And then finally, 
number five in verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. So a reason given for each of these first five. The last five, no reasons given. Just, you shall not murder. Done. (laughs) You shall not commit adultery. Done. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or anything else. No explanation just or no reason, just that's the way it is. And what was the people's reaction to hearing this? They were terrified. <laughs> yeah, they were terrified. Moses, you go up and talk, let God talk to you. We don't want to hear him. <clears throat> then begins in, in chapter twenty one, begins a, a set of of laws. Now there's more laws later to follow, but um these give a, a good introduction to the laws. Um, it's interesting how they start. When you think of a, a great king's laws, I don't know of any great king who would start his laws like chapter 21 starts the laws. He starts the laws with the lowest in society. Who is that? A slave. Yes, the very bottom of society. And he gives a set of laws to protect the slave's rights. That's the very opposite of the way any human being would would write laws. God cares about the weakest, the lowest. Then from there he moves on to general rights between between people. Uh, And... uh, Protecting people against violence of, of various sorts, and and protecting human life, protecting property. Um, this even includes, in ver- tw- starting verse twenty, even animals that would would harm a, a person's life. Uh, the animals get punished for. Um, and then in chapter twenty-two, he goes on to property rights. Um, and with this is what we would call case law, where the law will specify a specific example, but the the understanding is that you're going to look at that example, learn the principle behind it, and apply it to any similar situation. And so we we the chapter twenty two goes through and tells about um, what to do in cases of theft. What to do in cases that it says in verse nine for breach of trust if if, if something was put in someone's keeping, um, and then starting in verse sixteen we did and, and into chapter seventy you have very various sorts of laws that, that kind of cross a lot of different um, uh, descriptions. Um, in chapter twenty three, starting in verse ten, we have the. Um, the sabbatical year as well as the Sabbath day uh, so that in the seventh year they don't plant or harvest and the the poor people can go in on the seventh year and they can just harvest it for themselves to have some food so it's a it's it's a kindness that's being done to the poor in in the in the land he mentions in verse 14 three feasts to happen in the year and the these are laws that are primarily going to be kept once they get into the land, uh, which they assume is going to be very soon, but they'll be surprised. Um, 
and I don't think I'm going to have time to do chapter 24. I'd hope to get chapter 24 done this morning, but we'll cover it next week. We, we'll have time, I think. Because chapter 24 is really a, a very great high point in the story, so I, I want to make sure we do it justice. It's not one that we think about as often, but um, it's, it's, a, it's a very amazing story, and it leads into the tabernacle. So next time, finish reading the book of Exodus. We'll do the tabernacle, the golden calf, and, and we'll wrap up the book. Appreciate everyone's help this morning.